Welcome back to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. I'm Evan McElwain, and this week we're joined by Ed Fry, Head of Growth at Paddle, to talk about driving revenue retention during COVID-19. Great to have you on the show, Ed. Thanks, Evan. Excited to be here. So, Ed, tell us a little bit more about you and your current company, Paddle. Cool. So I'm based in London, usually during this COVID times, and I work at Paddle. So we're a SaaS commerce platform. Our mission is to be that entire commerce infrastructure that software businesses really need in one platform, in one partnership. So you might be tools like Stripe and Chargebee and Silicon Valley Bank and all these services you might use otherwise. So we take a kind of different model. So more like the app store, we become like a reseller. And so we can manage all your payment methods, all your subscription billing, all these invoices, currencies, taxes we can do for you and have that all wrapped up in one place so you can build and build your business off that. That's great. And, and Ed, so what, tell us more about kind of your role at Paddle and, and your background. Yeah. So if you like SaaS, um, Paddle's a really, really interesting business for that. So we, we, on the seller side and the buyer side, there's, there's, two, there's two tracks we're kind of interested in. So I work on the seller growth side. My job is to drive more software businesses to, to sign up and start using Paddle. And there's two kind of motions to that. There's more like a kind of self-serve function, very popular with kind of greenfield, new software businesses getting going. And then we got more like a traditional mid-market B2B SaaS function, sort of an account-based marketing program, BDRs, AEs, et cetera. So really my focus is on that side. But then we also, all our sellers, once they're live and they're, they're running transactions and volume and, and revenue through us, typically they run all their revenue through us, then we get to see everything that's happening by our side. And in light of COVID and in light of some of the trends, it's been really, really interesting to see what's happening in different countries and different industries and different verticals over the past, past sort of eight to 10 weeks in particular. Definitely. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into some of that data today. I think that's super interesting. So one, one other question we always like to ask before we get started is, what is one thing that no one listening to this podcast will know about you? <laughs> no one listening to this podcast. Well, so the, the, the only people benefiting from this at the moment are my family. So I'm currently <laughs> collecting the best roast potatoes in the whole wide world during lockdown. Those are a vital ingredient of a, a Sunday roast that will be very important to us Brits. And in absence of a pub, which because they're all closed, week by week optimizing the correct amount of oil potatoes butter sometimes garlic depending on the meat you're having it with that's that that, that that's really been the kind of thing i'm uh, the secret for this these podcasts yeah fantastic yeah no, it's everybody's getting creative in the kitchen so that's, that's good to hear you are as well so Ed, let's let's dive in here so you wrote a great extensive blog called wartime churn reduction strategies for SaaS. a lot of the folks listening may be familiar with ben horowitz's famous peacetime versus wartime ceo piece but in the context of our conversation today, can you give us the high level of how revenue retention or churn mitigation, whatever you want to call it, how these strategies are different today during what most would consider wartime versus during peacetime, which we've been, you know, been enjoying for the past several years? Right. So, I mean, if you're a, if you're a revenue leader in a SaaS company, if you're an executive in these roles, like typically peacetime, you've got a bunch of different priorities in your plate, like whether that's new acquisition, moving into new markets, something we talk about a lot at Paddle. Retention is, is in that mix. How do you manage renewals? How do you keep subscriptions going? But also expansion. The thing that's really changed in this market is acquisition is really dried up. We see like metrics across folks like Profitwell and HubSpot and our own index about this massively decreasing. A lot of resource moving into expansion, but these budgets are a little quite uncertain at the moment. Are you really willing to commit to more and for longer periods right now to drive revenue? And so really you're just left with this, this, this one piece. So whilst acquisition is really hard, expansion is really hard, 
it's more important than ever that you retain the customers and retain the revenue that they're, they're, they're bringing more now than ever. And what's really changed is the depth at which this is these cuts and this churn has happened. So we saw within our own index that March was the biggest months for, for churn across our sellers. We also saw it as one of the biggest months for growth across our sellers as, as people are indoors. So there's, there's, there's always a zoom in every crisis, right? There's, there's, there's always a, a couple that win, but that, that depth of churn across most, most sellers has been really quite severe and has really been kind of a, a means to focus the minds of, of SaaS leaders, revenue execs in the world of SaaS. And the same stuff which you might consider and read and talk about, you might go to a conference and read around churn reduction strategies. Not all of that is going to be relevant right now. You don't need strategies which, based on driving whatever customer insight or whatever research, whatever program is going to sort your churn in 12 to 18 months. No, you need something like this quarter. You need to kind of stop the bleed, stop the flow. Like, like say you need a paramedic, not a personal trainer. Like the results you needed are kind of right now. And, and it's within that context, we wanted to share some advice for, for our seller portfolio um, and then publish that on the, the blog as well. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. So, you know, a big focus on retention, especially in this time, and a really big focus on short-term versus medium to long-term. And I love that analogy of you need a paramedic instead of a, of a personal trainer. And, and that's kind of the level of urgency that we're, we're operating with. And so before we get any deeper, it may be helpful just to clarify for folks, the strategies that we're going to be talking about today, who are they really geared towards? Is this kind of SMB SaaS, mid-market, enterprise? What kind of ACVs are we talking about? Sure. So I think everyone is experiencing some level of like, hesitancy for revenue to, to revenue to move over i think the folks where they're on monthly bill, billing periods they're running on problematic payment methods like credit cards they're going to see some of this hit faster and hit sooner and and that absolutely does need to be taken care of but other you're not immune with annual billing you're not immune with invoicing and uh, and other payment methods in some sense that's just been deferred in some sense those discussions on can we defer payment, can we move to quarterly or, or, or something else as, as your buyers there are trying to, trying to mitigate strategies. So I don't think if, you, if you're 100% sales assisted, running from year to year on a contract, maybe in the education space or something like that, you, you immune from this? Absolutely not. You've still got a budget holder to please. You've still got users who are coming and going. And you still got to convince people to, to renew on that level. And, and, and similarly, like, there's a lot of kind of taxes we get into where You've got like annual subscriptions on, on the bottom end where uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of these trends are, are going to be working against you as well. So it's, it's going to manifest itself in different ways. But I, I think the kind of strategies we're, we're, we're looking at here are relevant to everyone. Cool. Uh, that, makes, that makes perfect sense. All right. So let's break down this problem a little bit further. When we, when we say revenue retention, you know, that's, that's quite broad. And it's hard to really take action when, when it's at that really broad level and, and kind of create a plan of attack around that. So let's, let's break down a little bit um, into a set of smaller challenges. So when you think about that, you know, how, how do you typically break it down further? Oftentimes in kind of the, the, the world of churn and retention, people talking around different types of churn. Um, so we've got active churn where people are choosing to cancel. They are they're clicking a cancel button, they're ringing up, they're otherwise not using your product. And that, that's, that's an active churn. It's, it's, it's something which has got different strategies to, to counter. And on the other end, you've got delinquent churn, passive churn, where that customer is not choosing to cancel, but their payment method underneath is falling away. That payment is not renewing for, for whatever reason. Maybe they're out of funds. Maybe that payment method's expired. 
maybe that payment method is not quite getting through anymore. And there's totally different strategies you need to mitigate that. And typically we see about 20 to 40% of your churn come from that passive delinquent churn. And when you look into this, it, it helps not to do that in aggregate, look at kind of aggregate stuff across the seller base, um, but to look at an individual seller and you'll find quite a large variance in the level of delinquent churn from month to month for a whole host of different reasons. And so that 20 to 40% range, typically when we go in and look at a seller portfolio, you see, see that range across most of them. All right. So that, that makes sense. You've got your active churn, your passive churn. Um, excited to dig into each of those more. What are the other pieces here when we think about breaking it down? Cool. So as well as active and passive, you also need to think about when the churn event happens. So before a churn event, there are things you can do to mitigate that particular churn problem. And then after a churn event, when you're looking to recover and react to your customer canceling or a payment failing. And within this, you can start to draw like a quadrant. So on this, this top left, we've got active pre-churn. On the bottom right, we've got uh, passive uh, post-churn events. And then within each of this, you can start to dot out like what are your strategies? What are the tactics which you're, you're really looking to implement? Um, and you can start to see where your opportunities are or where you've got the most space to improve. Got it. Okay. I think that's really helpful. So, and, and we'll include a link to that blog post with the visuals so that, that it makes it easier for listeners to, to grasp that in terms of these four quadrants. So now that we've got these four quadrants, which break down into the passive, active, pre-churn, post-churn, yeah, we talked a little bit about before we started recording about how these kind of map really well to leading and lagging indicators. So really, you know, if we think about this upper left quadrant, which is uh, pre-churn active, you've got keeping users happy and active being kind of a leading indicator, the rest of them being lagging. So as, as a best practice, where do we really start when it comes to our revenue retention strategy? Do we want to kind of start with the leading indicators? Or is it, is it better to really start prioritizing these lagging ones? Right. So in, in a world where like, we're not entirely sure what's going to be happening next quarter, maybe not even next, next month, I think the most reliable thing we can look at right now is, is our past performance. Our past performance is probably going to be the strongest indicator of where we're heading next. And this is why like, we're encouraging folks to look at lagging indicators right now, because unless you've done serious optimization around this kind of stuff, this stuff hasn't moved. If you're not doing things around payment acceptance, if you're not doing things around your cancellation flows, this is the kind of thing which is ripe for, for optimization, by the way. On that, the other side, so the, the kind of leading indicators, if you've got users which maybe aren't activating, maybe your onboarding process is not, is not driving, driving the results which you really need, there is optimization you can still do around that, but the, the impact of that is going to be felt further out. And if you as a revenue leader, you need to kind of stem the flow right now, look at the stuff which you can, uh, which is going to drive that, that uplift right away. If you have poor payment acceptance, if you have poor dunning, if you have poor cancellation flows, like these are things which you can immediately fix and you're going to see an uplift this week or, or it's the same week which you're, you're implementing stuff. Yep, no, that makes total sense. And, and kind of right in line with your initial statements of, hey, this is really geared towards taking action now and, and how can we drive an impact in the short term, uh, kind of with that, with that high level of urgency. So let, let's kind of look at these one quadrant at a time and we can start with the post churn event side of things. So whether it's, you know, passive or active, what kind of, what do we do next? So first let's look at kind of cancellation offers. So this is in the active churn bucket. Somebody goes to click cancel, they ring you up, ring you up saying, Hey, I no longer want, want to be using this. I kind of, I, I want out. What do you do next? 
So like oftentimes people don't even put in any kind of, I don't, so there's, there's a challenge here, right? You could put in a ton of friction. I'm sure you've all uh, rung up to cancel a cell phone subscription and it's been an absolute pain to, to get out of that. And they're gonna upsell you and they're gonna just make that as full as friction as possible to stop you getting away. Now in the world of software, people talk and you don't really want people to be leaving with this terrible, terrible last impression. That said, there's still something for adding something beyond just a cancel button. Quite oftentimes, that's it. And you see just this, this subscription model come chugging to a halt just because you made it really easy to exit after all the effort you put into product and acquisition and keeping the thing going. And so there's a couple of things you can do. Just one, restate and re-highlight your value proposition. We've seen some, some folks do this in a very personalized way, like here's the number of blur, whatever feature or whatever kind of key value metric that you, you've used. And to like capture the insights on, on why they're leaving. Oftentimes, when you capture these insights, these are things that you're going to improve. And once you start capturing this stuff, this, this becomes things which become leading indicators later down the line. But adding just that little bit of friction, like, are you sure you, need, you, you want to leave? Like, here's the value, here's the, here's the value problem this. And if you still find them clicking forward, like, that's maybe the time to look at things like a discount. The people who keep the most customers through this crisis are going to be the ones who are going to win. Now, Customer retention and revenue retention are different things. The game right now is keeping hold of customers. You can look at expansion and upsell back when things are in a, in a normal routine, but maybe you're going to compromise a little bit on the revenue from that account when they're looking to cancel because maybe 50% of the contract value is better than nothing. And, and that's where maybe a cancellation discount as part of that offer process, where it makes sense, where budget might be an issue, where they might want to move off an annual uh, commitment to maybe a quarterly commitment and then building a process to do that. So I've probably seen that a couple of ways. One, people building their, their own workflows or two, actually routing it through our, our billing support team and saying like, when they click to cancel, please offer, make this discount offer instead. And you see uh, a small deflection rate on that. Obviously there's revenue, uh, revenue churn off that, but that, that, that comes with the benefit of keeping the, keeping the customers moving forward. So that's, that's really what, what, what we kind of prescribe right now is like put some level of insight gathering and some chance to restate your value proposition. If that's really not working, then think about how you can offer a discount and, and your subscription billing tools should be able to downgrade them to, to a plan that works. Maybe even that's, that's giving them the plan ahead of where they are right now so they can keep using it but maybe at no extra cost. Like there's other ways which you can, you can start to frame this so maybe you're not losing out on revenue as well. Got it. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I really like your point of emphasizing customer retention over revenue retention right now. Keep the customers, even if it's it's at a lower ARR or MRR, and then make up for that revenue later when, when we've kind of recovered more. Exactly. Write out your competitor's pain because they might be bleeding out as well. I've seen some software companies go super aggressive on that, like offer their software free to people on their competitors' plans and just to drive an acquisition because yeah. the winners are the ones who are going to hold the customers at the end. And then we can, you can go back to, okay, what is that account worth? Let's have a discussion. Let's price the value. And that kind of goes into like, you know, you hear a lot of people talking right now about now is the time to be building up goodwill more than ever. You know, obviously a lot of these are kind of best practices in general, but they're elevated during this time, really leading with value, building that goodwill. Customers will remember you for that and will, you know, the, the, the idea is they'll reward you for years to come. One company I've seen an experience kind of firsthand be really good at, at this cancellation offer strategy is Zoom. You know, yeah. Zoom bills monthly for, the, for, for most customers. 
and you know, a lot of folks are now doing digital events. They're doing digital webinars for the first time. Bowery has done a couple digital webinars. So I was, you know, that was my first time purchasing and using the Zoom webinar product. We did one of a couple events, didn't need it for the next you know, month or so, went to cancel and it said, hey, we'll give you 70% off if you commit to a year of this yeah. webinar package. And so it made it a no brainer, of course. Yeah, I'm gonna be doing more webinars over the course of the year. This is way cheaper than, than kind of doing month to month and restarting it later. And was that 70% off with a monthly billing or was that 70% off with, annual. An, with an annual commitment? Yeah. So like what's nice about that is there's some give and take. Like I think good totally. sales guys would do that. Guys and girls would do that. Good cancellation offers should get that, that, that same give and take. But yeah, and I think that's entirely appropriate for the time. Yeah, totally. Give and get is something that we really preach at, at Bowery to our portfolio companies. And it's certainly extremely relevant here when we think about the types of offers to be making and how to be approaching prospects and customers. So, all right. So what are, we talked about cancellation <laughs> offers, kind of what, what to do there. What, are, what about like getting tactical about what are some lightweight ways that the listeners can go and implement this today? Right now you have a button inside your app. Where, where does that go? Like at the very least, can you direct that to maybe just a landing page, which has the cancellation form in it and has the rest of the logic putting something on that, just adding that extra step where you have a chance to restate a value proposition. Maybe at the bottom of that, there's a second page that goes through to a discount. Like it, it really should be something that simple. There's tooling um, available to make these flows much, much slicker, much, much easier. Services like Brightback are offering like a free service right now. If, if you want to look at that, there's, but otherwise live chat tools, we've seen this be just as effective. So where you're clicking to cancel inside the product, I think frame.io, uh, we're talking about 30% improvement in uh, revenue retention of that just with a, a live chat based cat exit. And most of you will probably have some kind of service like that. So just think about like what that exit step is looking like and, and following that experience through that, that, that would be the first thing we should, you can look at. And really, you can do it in 90 minutes or so. Cool. Uh, no, that's great. All right, so let's move along to kind of our next quadrant here. We'll stay in the kind of post-churn events side of things. Payment acceptance. So this is, unlike cancellation offers, this one is on the kind of involuntary or passive churn side of things. You've got a customer, you go to run their payment method, whatever that may be, and it comes back um, rejected. It, it doesn't go through as expected. What next? What are some strategies around that? Yeah. So the, the cards failed to renew. And this is quite common. We're actually doing a, a kind of study at the moment into kind of a lot of these causes of payment acceptance and where it is across the world. There's a whole bunch of reasons that this, this can happen from like just a lack of funds within the, within the tool, from a lack of, it, it can look fraudulent, particularly with a subscription coming, coming around again. Like in general, you see lower subscription, lower payment acceptance rates for the subscription renewal in most countries than the checkout itself because the, the authentication is different. Uh, maybe the banks don't actually connect and talk to each other, uh, which is different, uh, can, can change since, since that first purchase. Is the lack of funds is also like a really common issue. And so like, this is where a world of Dunning tools comes in. And uh, this has become quite well known in the SaaS space where tools are gonna use a mix of proactive outreach to a customer to try and create an experience to get people back to, hey, your, would you mind updating your payment method? Your account's gone, gone delinquent. Here's like a nice, easy mobile optimized form for someone, wherever they may be, they may be in the bathroom, just get going through their emails or maybe like at their desk, something that's really easy for them to, them to auto update. 
But then there's also stuff uh, on the infrastructure side, like how can you proactively know that cards are going to expire? How can you retry? In the case of lack of funds, this can actually be enough, having smart retries. And if you're really good, smart retries based on the country your buyer is in, kind of based on when when those the, those workers in those countries typically get paid and all this kind of stuff, when when bank balances are and credit cards are, are, are back to full funds. And so that kind of mix of smart retries, having a slick repayment repayment process. But like really, really that's, there's only so much you, you can do there. That's really about kind of mopping something up after it's already happened. What we suggest most people do is look at their, their payment acceptance in the first place, both across checkout so when people have that first their first payment, as well as a subscription renewal, because if you can solve the problem before that becomes a mess, that that's really where the biggest lift lift can be. Got it. And so we've got so these are both kind of on the passive churn side. We've yeah. got um, the payment acceptance, which is kind of that, that pre churn piece, and then we've 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 also got the kind of the payment collection and trying to claw that back on on the post churn side of things. What are some different tactical things that folks can do? On, on either side to, to, to get started. It sounds like your recommendation would really be kind of try to focus first on the payment acceptance and, and get that going uh, before you have this, this, this problem of, of collections and, and cards failing. Yeah, I mean, so typically people will have something around the what the dunning flow, the the kind of recollection thing, and and oftentimes you haven't gone and looked at that and optimized that yourself. So like whether whether that's running through a billing tool, your own email marketing tool, or whatever it may be, like go and have a look at that. Is there anything you can do to optimize that in terms of the number of messages you're sending, in terms of the the logic there, in terms of the the copy within that message there's normally something you can do there the second thing your subscription billing tool should have some ability to drive retries and to retry cards so you might not have the sophistication to start doing things by country and by particular date of the month and this kind of thing or but make sure you've got something in terms of retries enabled and turned on so these are like two very quick and easy things you can quickly review that might that uh, means sending a couple of emails to people on your team just to uh, like dig into. Um, but that's definitely where you, should, where you should be starting. Solving payment acceptance as a, as a wider problem is, is, really, is, is really quite a large topic. It, if we're in the Western world and we, we kind of assume that like people use credit cards, all our banks talk to each other, you know, you tend not to run out of funds. As soon as you really look, kind of look at the data, you see a very different story. Uh, cards do run out of funds. They're probably the least reliable payment method that's widely adopted for, for software businesses. Generally doing things via digital wallets like PayPal, where that itself can act as a source of funds versus a credit card, which needs a bank behind it, and the, the credit card itself can run out. Or running stuff via wire transfers, which which you which you invoice. And so moving stuff off credit card can be can be quite helpful. It can still be helpful to have a card on file so you can try and make charges. But generally we see much lower churn rates from delinquent churn when you're running things through through wire transfer or things like PayPal. PayPal is also like really, really commonly adopted in uh, other markets. In the UK it's, it's quite popular, in the US it's quite popular, but in, in places like Germany it's dominant. So for SMB in particular, we see 70% of our transactions run through PayPal versus card. Card's really, really not popular there. You go to Berlin, and try and pay for dinner with it with a credit card you're gonna to have to go and find find some cash like it's a different kind of world and paypal is like a really good first step to start exploring alternate payment methods which are more popular have better payment acceptance in other places in the world so that's that's definitely one piece the other thing is currencies like we see maybe a one to two percent improvement in in retention in payment acceptance when you run stuff through a country's local currency 
some regions like Japan, that's up to 9%. We also see higher conversions. So, so I was doing a, a study earlier today, one, of, one seller who the second largest market is Japan, um, saw a 12% increase in conversions by, by uh, turning on Japanese yen. And so that was like a very significant uh, in, increase in revenue for them. Local currency is going to be understood better by, by those local banks and those local banking infrastructure. The converse we've seen is there's a Spanish-based software company which was just moving, uh, setting up in the States, just setting up their kind of go-to market presence to take, to take on like this, this big software market. But they're running all the infrastructure from Spain and trying to build the world in euros. And they were having a 30% annual churn from low payment acceptance. So a third of their revenue going out the door just because of failing banks. Like this, this issue becomes small percentages month over month, but that really compounds to quite a significant portion over time. So the way they need to solve that is by having local acquiring banks in the US, local payment processing and having a local entity so that the bank, it doesn't look fraudulent, the banks can talk to each other uh, and that payment method will go through. And really the local acquiring is, is the most effective thing which you need to look at. The world's, one of the world's largest acquiring banks is the Bank of America. It's one of the many things they do. It's going to be very familiar to a lot of people on this podcast for maybe a whole bunch of different reasons. But something like Celo in Brazil, one of, another one of the top 10 acquiring banks you're probably not aware of. How do you know your payment processor has a relationship with them? Brazil is an enormous software market, uh, which we see at Paddle. Your banks and your payment processing has to be able to talk to the likes of Celo and the other top provider in Brazil. Otherwise, your payment processing in Brazil is really going to struggle. And so this mix of local acquiring local entities and currencies is really the world which you're going to have to move to to kind of optimize for, for payments over time. And yeah, what, one of the things you can start to do in the meantime is like look at how you can turn on local entities where, where you have and run your payments through your entities you have them around the world turn on local currencies where you can and otherwise migrate to infrastructure which can can run this on your behalf that's great wow so a lot ton of actionable tips there for those listening that, that haven't picked up on this ed knows a ton about payment acceptance and how to optimize this he's going to be putting out a really great extensive blog soon so we'll add a link to that in in, in our blog so that you can access it clearly depending on the type of company you're running and how you're expanding around the world uh, this can be a really crucial part to your overall revenue retention strategy. So, so those are all great tips. Thanks for that, Ed. Yeah. So there's kind of one final quadrant here that we haven't covered. So this is still on the, on the pre-churn side of things now, but, but on, the, on the active side. So the theme here is kind of keeping users happy and active. You mentioned that this is one that tends to have more of a medium to long-term payout. This is something every SaaS company is, is focused on. Oftentimes easier said than done, especially when you've got some users who may not have engaged with you in a while, you've, you've got others that um, just they're sort of distracted and have other things going on, COVID related or otherwise. How do you think about approaching this and maybe talk about strategies for, for both the unengaged users or clients as well as those that engage with your product regularly? Yeah, sure. So amongst your kind of user base, again, kind of looking for what those lagging indicators are and the things which can make an impact quickly. If you can start to split like a retention curve into different parts, the thing where you're going to see the biggest drop off is probably at the beginning. It's probably in that first like onboarding experience and driving that activation. The users who fail to activate and see the value of your product for themselves are very unlikely to stick with it. And so these, these retention curves are not all like an equal kind of slope. And so really that's something which you can start to optimize right away. You, acquisition is definitely down in general. You, your trends might may be different, but how can you 
keep hold of the customers which you are still acquiring right now and how you can optimize that experience. So applying the same leading lagging logic, you can start to optimize on the places where you know you're underperforming, where you know you can start to improve. And typically that's going to be the first part of that, that, that customer journey. Now what happens after that, you're going to see that, that churn from those cohorts start to level off. And maybe you do have users who you know, they haven't used your service in a while. That, like, like you, you, you said with, with your Zoom webinars, if you haven't used a Zoom webinar in, say, a couple of months, how can I, as a, a Zoom retention manager, know whether how I can engage you? So I kind of got two options here. I can not engage you. I can hope that you sort of don't look at credit card statements and this this kind of quietly moves on. It's not really kind of a, a strategy. On the other hand, I can start to try and proactively engage you. Now the danger with that is I I then put into question the oh am I really using this? Should I be using this? And I think we've all done that where we've, we've had an email pop up from a service we, we've we once used and we've gone and bam, hit cancel. And that's the end of that. So again, it's, it's really about restating value proposition. That kind of cohort of users which have been around, which are sticking with you, like what is the messaging which is most effective to them? Typically like splitting this up by persona or splitting this up into a particular story. Like what is the thing which is most going to matter to them? Maybe it's only a sub-segment that you've got a really strong message for. Maybe that's that those are the folks which you reach out to. It comes very difficult to generalize in this in this kind of segment, but that's those are kind of the areas where we kind of suggest looking at first. Great. Yeah, I think it's really helpful and certainly going to vary depending on the business. You know, every SaaS company is different and what they need to do in order to keep their, their users happy and engaged is, is obviously going to vary. But I think that's at least a helpful framework for starting to break that down and figure out where to prioritize first. So Ed, we've, we've covered a ton of ground here uh, with lots of actionable tips on how revenue leaders can improve revenue retention during this quote unquote wartime um, that many companies are finding themselves in right now. You mentioned for most companies, it, it makes sense to start with the lagging indicators. So um, not the one that we just discussed, but, but really the, the other three. Any other advice on how people should be thinking about prioritizing these various initiatives depending on where their company's at? Yeah. So, I mean, if, if your business is like ours at the moment, it's driven largely by a finance team trying to reforecast and trying to make sense of what projects to emphasize and de-emphasize. Those guys can't do their job unless they have like a revenue number, unless they have a real quantified estimate, which is you can test and you can, is some kind of level of rigor to. So my encouragement is for folks to try and put some numbers on this, try and put their numbers on each initiative which they're looking at, whether that's acquisition, expansion, or retention. But it's up to us as revenue leaders to step up and show our finance teams, show our forecasting forecasting process, like really what our, our retention programs or other programs can be driving. I think uh, speaking more on the marketing side, often marketing can look be looked upon as a cost center and you see that like there's a lot of marketers on the street right now like that's a sad reality of of of, of some of this and it's on us as as revenue leaders to step up and show where the roi is and show where we expect these programs to be and and how this ties together i think if you can't quantify stuff you've got to really question whether it is going to provide value particularly in this kind of short term like you need to be solving stemming a lot of this flow in q2 to start seeing the, the, the impact over the year. Like Q3 is going to come around, Q4 is going to come around. That's going to be so much easier keeping more of those customers you already have. Yeah, and I think for folks who maybe are trying to figure out how to get started with that, that process of quantifying these different, these different initiatives, uh, we'll include, again, a link to this extensive blog uh, by Ed 
and he's got some great example equations in there for, for each of these different actionable tips, as well as a calculator that can help you get a handle on the potential impact these can have to your business. Are there any final thoughts, you know, tips, tricks that you want to leave folks with to summarize? I, mean, I, I think that that's, that's kind of it. I think you've got to focus on the stuff in the short term. You've got to try and quantify where you can. You've got to figure out what the best roast potatoes are and your best discount off Zoom. And I think that's the uh, <laughs> focus on uh, through these next courses. I, it's it's going to be tough. Like uh, I think people have already seen kind of the fallout of their teams, seen sort of redundancies or furloughs. And they're seeing maybe a, a, some of their the biggest customers maybe walk away. We can't just stand by. Like Q3 comes around, Q4 comes around. We have to hit our numbers. And, and this focusing on retention, particularly this quarter, is really going to help set us up for, for success through, through this period. Yeah, no, I totally agree. All right, well, Ed, thank you so much uh, for, for taking the time and coming on the show. Cool. That's uh, been really good fun. Thanks, Evan. <laughs>